Let's open the word of the Lord a moment to Psalms 34, 19. I'm going to read it from two different versions. I want to talk to you a couple of minutes about overcoming adversity. It's very important because uh, right now the nation is going through adversity. Uh, there's more hate, more uh, negative rhetoric uh, that's happening on a global scale, basically, but it's certainly in our nation. So we really need uh, to remember what God tells us uh, in his word when we go through adversity, when we go through difficulties, when we go through crisis. It almost seems like the enemy has come with all of his hordes to afflict all of us, all at the same time. I don't know about you, but I've, I've just never seen so many attacks against so many Christians at the same time. So uh, we really need to know what God's word says about that. And um, I thank God because if it's in his word, you can stand on it. If it's in God's word, it's his promise. God is not like man. Some, some of us call him the man upstairs. He's not the man upstairs. He is almighty God. He's not man that he should lie. He is almighty God. Praise God. And he's faithful to his word. So if I catch one of his promises in scripture, I can apply him to my life. Uh, he, and he's faithful that way. And I'm so grateful for his promises. So Psalms 34, 19, I'm going to read it from the New King James, and then I'm also going to read it from the New Living Translation. Gives a different snapshot from the same, uh, same verse. So in the New King James Version, it says it this way. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many. So in other words, in your life, you're going to go through afflictions. In your life, you're going to go through problems. There's a guarantee. The Bible says you're going to go through afflictions. He says, but the Lord delivers him out of some of them. The Lord delivers him out of most of them. The Lord delivers him out of 44.7865% of them. Huh? So the emphasis here is the Lord delivers him out of them all. So I can expect God to be in the midst of my issues and help me. And it says here, he delivers me. So there's a power that's going to come into my circumstance and situation that even though I might not have the strength all alone to get through this thing, he's there and he'll help deliver me out of that situation. Praise God for that. So I can always expect that extra to my natural, making it supernatural. So it's a supernatural journey I am walking through together with Almighty God. In the New Living Translation, it says, the righteous face many troubles. So it says it a little different. Instead of many are the afflictions of the righteous, it says the righteous face many troubles. So we'll go through troubles. But it says, but the Lord rescues them from each and every one. I love it. There's an emphasis there. It just says from each one. It says, no, from each and every one. The Lord will deliver you or rescue you from each and every one. So he's there with you. So I no longer pray and say, God, I don't want to go through trouble. What I pray, I say, Lord, in the midst of my issues, my anguish, my problems, my deficiencies, my idiosyncrasies, my problems, I thank you, Father, because you're with me and your power is being revealed. Uh, the one word in power, uh, the word power in the Old Testament has many different definitions. One of the words is a chameleon-like substance. Power, as it relates to the power of God, uh, let me ask you a question. What do you appreciate most about a chameleon? Huh? It can hide in plain sight. How? Huh? It knows how to camouflage itself. How? It changes to, yeah. 
Right. It, it can actually become its environment. Well, the Bible says one of the definitions of power is that God gives us the power to acquire wealth, right? But that word power there, it's a chameleon-like ability to change or shift into the very thing it's needed to be. Hallelujah. Oh, you're not getting it yet. The power of God that's resident in you has the ability to not only conform to your situation, but to excel in your situation. See, so when, when the Christian sees trouble, he sees opportunity. When the Christian sees trouble, he says, okay, God's morphing something in the spirit realm to help me out and to bring me out. But I also know this. When God allows you to go through a circumstance or situation, there are some pearls he needs you to pick up in the process. When you're going through a situation, there might even be somebody that you're called to minister to in the midst of the situation, or you're going to pick up wisdom in that situation that's going to benefit others in the future because now you are going to be able to be sensitive and anointed to be able to help others in a similar situation. Amen. I don't know about you, but that makes me excited. That means that even in the trouble that I go through, there's a purpose behind that. And there's something that God's going to get glory in. And there's a benefit that I'm going to get. And those that I minister will also get the benefit. Why? Because that's how God works. Where when people think it's over, that's when he's just getting started. That's when he's just about ready to boast. When it's impossible, that's when he's getting started. What is impossible after all? Definition of impossible. It hasn't been done yet. For me, that's what impossible means. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So we all go through many challenges. Every single one of us. Adversity and crises meet us during many seasons of our lives. That is the truth. We know that. However, adversity can be a positive thing. It can help us to learn the value of sacrifice. It can help us to stretch and grow. Because not for nothing, you don't grow during times of comfort and ease. You only grow during times of trouble. During times of stretching, during times where you think you've entered a place that you can't handle it, but yet right there, that's when you're being stretched. When you go before, or rather, when you get a job with a very difficult boss, that they are micromanagers, that they watch your time, they watch your tickets, they watch your emails, that's when you grow because you learn how to become professional. You learn how to uh, honor people's time because you're always constantly late to places. Basically, you don't understand. You're dishonoring other people. You're dishonoring uh, the person you're going to meet. You're dishonoring your supervisors. You're dishonoring your family. You're dishonoring your own name. So that's a type of immaturity that needs to be dealt with. But you don't change until you get uh, uh, when you have to submit to a difficult person or a difficult circumstance or situation. I know I don't get many amens on that, but let me tell you, this type of preaching is what's going to help you grow. Because the truth of the matter is, if you're late uh, five times a week in a five-day week job, you're not going to last that very long in the, in the job, right? But it's during these times that we actually grow. So there, there's benefits to trouble. There's benefits to affliction. One time David said, it was good that I was afflicted so I could learn to trust you. So, I, so he could learn how God moves, uh, God's ways. Affliction many times is exactly what we need so we could grow out of that immaturity that we're in, that low faith level to a high faith level. Amen. Hallelujah. I remember years ago, um, I was uh, in this church. I was uh, one of the elders. I purchased a home in Pennsylvania years ago, years ago. I was probably 23, 24 years old, maybe. Um, 
57 now, so that was years ago. Uh, the interest rates were around 13%. So I bought a home uh, because I got emotional about it. You know, you open up the Post and the Daily News and say, oh, move to Pennsylvania and the Poconos, beautiful homes, raise your children there. So I got caught. I caught that bug. So I bought a, a, a house, 13% interest. And, and, you know, I, once I got it, uh, and my wife, she's, so, she's been so gracious, you know, she always trusted me, and, oh, man, I wish you would have slapped me up my, head, up my head before I bought the house. But anyway, we, we spent three years going back and forth. Um, we realized I couldn't afford it, and it was very hard. For three years, it was very difficult. So um, I remember we finally got a, 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 I was very much in trouble because I was starting to get delayed in payments, and, but thank God I got a buyer, and the buyer uh, you know, puts his money down, everything's fine. So I was just about ready to go into foreclosure. And, but thank God the buyer's there, so the closing date's coming one week away, three days away, two days away. About two days away, I get a call. I get a call from my, uh, I guess my representative, and the broker said, you know, the, fe- the deal fell through. The person's not going to buy the house. Suddenly, I got one of those moments where, what do you do? I mean, this is not fair. This is like, call him back and tell him no. He's going to buy the house. That's it. Well, I, I, I just froze for a moment. I, I got very afraid. Uh, and right there, I started getting that accuser thing happening to me. You see, you, you didn't use your understanding. You know, you're going to go foreclose. Your credit's going to be ruined now. You're going to have to go to court. And But suddenly... God reminded me of his promises. Suddenly, God reminded me of how he can move even in seemingly impossible situations. And just, it's almost like a spirit of faith rose up in me. And right there in the living room, um, nobody was there at the moment. I I just felt a spirit of faith. So I just spoke to that mountain. You know, the Bible says, speak to your mountain, right? So I spoke to the mountain. I says, in the name of Jesus, I am going to have a buyer and this property is going to close. But I had no proof. I had to, they just called me. They said the guy backed off. But I just went into that, and I just started declaring. And, and it's just I felt confident that I knew it was going to happen. The next day, they called me back up. He says, we don't know how this has happened, but a person came out of nowhere. He wants to buy your house, and he has cash in hand. And I'll never forget markers like that in my life, how God delivered me when I was in trouble. He just stepped in and intervened in my circumstance. And I give him glory for that. But also, that helped me to grow. It stretched me because, boy, did I have to stretch in faith. So my faith grew. And then since that time, I've had many situations where I've learned how to be able to trust God, even when it seems hopeless. Amen? I've learned to persevere in situations. So sometimes you just have to persevere. Sometimes you have to trust God for an extended season. Sometimes you have to recommit to trusting God. But many times we, we get hit so hard that we get knocked off of our faith. And we have to get back in there. So, no, no, I've I got to get back in there. You know, I'm trusting God. You know, what, what am I going to do? Trust the situation more? Trust the problem more? No, I'm going to trust God more. Hallelujah. In Proverbs 17, 17, it says... A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So he uses the word adversity. Adversity is a word in the Old Testament that comes to mean an adversary. Somebody is coming against you. Also, an affliction, an anguish, a distress, something that distresses you. It takes you beyond your comfort level. Tribulation, it could be. So affliction means a lot of things. It also, like I said, mean an adversary. 
It brings you to a tight place where you feel there's no way out. You're being attacked from the left, from the right, back, forth. You're being almost cornered into a situation. We have no way out. That's what adversity is. So let me give you some principles about adversity. Number one, adversity, you need to understand this. Hidden within the situation are seeds of wisdom and seeds of blessing. In every adversity situation, there's a seed for your better future. So don't look at adversity as something that's it, it's over, I'm dead, I'm gone, that's it. No, no, in there, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever seen these movies, these fantasy movies, where especially uh, the Greek uh, mythology, where in order for them to have the victory against the monster, they have to go get different things like a Clash of the Titans-esque type of movie. You have to go get a piece of clothing. You have to get a horn, a mythical horn. You know, at every situation, you have to pick up something that gives you more points. And then you go back, and then you could defeat the enemy, right? And one of them, they had to get a Methuselah, not Methuselah, it was a no, Medusa, Medusa's head, and you couldn't look at it. You got to go like that. You know? I mean, we know it's, this is all nonsense, but the, the point is, is God is saying to us that in the midst of adversity, when you get in there, don't fear it because there's stuff you could pick up there. Stuff, benefits that you could pick up in that situation. Wisdom that you could pick up in that situation. I'm telling you, I have grown in my life the most when I'm in adversity. I have learned the most when I'm in adversity. There are things that I learned there that I cannot learn watching TV or playing... A, Whatever you call those things. I don't, I don't know the name of them. I don't, I, well, they're videos, but they're specific. Like, uh, I can't say Atari because nobody addresses that anymore. It's, yeah, Playstations and stuff like that. You, you're not going to learn it. You're going to learn how to defeat or whatever in the ninth level, but that means nothing in the modern-day world. Right? So, but in adversity, you could pick up some great stuff. Um, for example, remember David? David and Goliath? What do you know about that story, David and Goliath? What, what's the highlight? What's the headliner of the David and Goliath story? That he, he toppled Goliath, right? But if you look at the story, David didn't come into a place where they welcomed him and they said, please, can you help us? No, in every step of the way, he had problems. In every step of the way, people came against him. His own family came against him. You know, uh, the king, look, you're just a boy. You don't have the authority here. They gave him tools that didn't work because the, 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 the uh, king wanted to have him wear uh, a particular type of garb, you know, uh, that he couldn't even carry. He couldn't even walk well with it. But in each and every step of the way, he would say this, I trust God. Because in the past, I've had to face some really bad situations and God has been with me. I was able to defeat the lion. I was able to defeat the bear. Right? So all those victories in the past in private helped them to become now a very public hero. You getting it? You see? So what happened? What did David pick up? The, the precious jewels and the precious wisdom that he picked up was the fact that God and him could do exceedingly more than he on his own. Because when he defeated the lion in the base, whoa, God, you truly are with me. Right? So when he saw the Goliath, he says, well, I could do that because I've done it before. See? Now watch this, what most people don't realize is that he had a conversation 
with some people. He said, whoever defeats the Goliath now gets greater benefits. You don't have to pay tax. House get paid off. Get one of the king's daughters as a wife. You understand? What I'm there was a lot of benefits there, but somebody had to trust God in the midst of adversity in order to get the benefits. Now, we, we, don't, we don't systematically look for trouble just to get benefits. But I'm saying, you're going to head into benefits. Sometimes, no matter how careful you are, it's going to go find you. Sometimes adversity will go chasing after you. <laughs> so my question to you is, how do you see, for example, a flood in your house? Right. Is it an adversity? Anybody else? Has anybody ever had a flood in their home? Do you like it? Who's loving the flood? I'll tell you who's loving the flood. The plumber. You said disaster. Plumber says payday. Tuesday you'll get this. Tuesday says, oh, that's what he meant. That's what he meant. See, in other words, in every adversity there's a promotion. In every adversity there's a payday. You see it, but you have to see it from the proper perspective. Right? When, when something's wrong with your shoulder, who do you go to? What does that pain in the shoulder mean to you? Especially if you're a pitcher. If you're a professional pitcher and your shoulder's hurting, what does that mean to you? That could, that could mean a career-ending event. Do you know what that means to the doctor that handles shoulders? You understand? In other words, in every adversity, there is a payday, but you have to know how to address your adversity. Uh, you haven't got this yet. You haven't got this yet. Praise God. Adversity. There is seeds of wisdom and blessing. And the ne next thing is God renews our strength when we trust and wait upon him. See, God says that even the young people fail, but those that trust in the Lord. Young people get tired and weary, but those who trust in the Lord shall take wings as eagles and fly above the situation. So we need to understand in the midst of adversity, there are wings that we can attach to ourselves. There's that prayer, that trust, that walking with God. See, God doesn't want you wallowing within the problem. He wants you to fly above the problem. He wants you to fly above it and look at it as an eagle and soar in the midst of the adversity. Praise God. So that's how he wants us to be. Now, oh, woe is me. That's not going to give any, any victory to you. It's okay. What do I need to do? Lord, give me wisdom. Give me strategy. Get into that prayer closet. You know, who, who saw the war room? That was a good one. I recommend you see the war room because it teaches about prayer. Uh, thriving even in the midst of that. The next thing is adversity brings you to a fully, understandings, uh, a fully, fully understanding of your weapon of warfare that is mighty through God, that you already possess. Amen. Weapons of his word. And this is why Christians have to be word-minded Christians, not emotion-driven Christians. You have to learn God's word. You have to learn because in adversity, you need to speak his word. What did Jesus do when he was tempted by the devil? He spoke the word. Devil, it is written. See, learn from the master. It is written. What we do, we start complaining. We start gossiping. Or we gather with people that have less faith than us. That's it. You're doomed. Because misery loves company. 
You go to that person, and that person, well, yeah, I told you, you got to give up. I told you, you know, what's the use? Look what happened with Job. Job, in the Old Testament, he, he, he had a tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. Suddenly happened to him. And his own wife said, why don't you give up? Why trust God? He's allowed all that to come upon you. Just give up and die already. He would not give up. He trusted God. And what does God do? He reverses the situation, restores everything to him, double. And those that criticized him, God said, if he doesn't pray for you, I'm going to come after you. And what happened? They had to come and Job, who was sick, whom they were criticizing, had to pray over them so that God would forgive them. Talk about, woo, talk about payback. <laughs> Praise God. Adversity exposes your current mindset, exposes any destructive behavior you might have, and allows you to see where you need to change. It's a great place to look at yourself. See, because we're mostly, usually, uh, blaming others. Most of the time, we go, well, what about him? What about him? He did that. You know, I haven't done anything. No, but how about you look at yourself? How about you look at your own habits? How about you look at what you can do? You know, I learned several years ago that I can't change people. But if I change, the world changes around me. So I've learned to address my issues. God, I seem to get very angry, fly off the handle when I go through this. I, I, I tend to, to um, uh, freak out if this happens. Uh, I tend to get melancholy. Uh, I tend to run away if this happens. What are you doing in the midst of crisis? Maybe God's saying, I'm exposing this to you so that you could change it. And let me help you. See, because God will give you power to be able to shift and change and grow. Praise God. Many times when crisis comes to you, we forget the word. We don't confess the word. We start getting angry and, and we start cursing and we start, uh, you know, wanting to fight. You know, it, it breaks my heart because today people are so angry that if you get into a quick debate, guns come out right away and people start shooting each other. We have to be very careful how we handle our emotions today because you, be, you might be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I don't know what it is, but especially it's almost like in the end of the city, we're, we're taught to like want to fight right away. Where does that come from? It doesn't bring God any glory. It only brings tragedy. Just yesterday, I think it was, last night, uh, one of our football uh, stars was murdered. Was murdered because why? Because a guy hits, him, his, hits his car, him and his wife, hits his car in the back, so he gets out, and he was forced to hit another car. So he gets out, he starts arguing with the guy that hit him. The guy that hit him takes out a gun and shoots him dead. See? So we have to learn where to express our anger. The Bible doesn't say never get angry. It says get angry but sin not. So we have to know where to position our anger. So I'm going to position, position my anger to bring change to my life. I'm going to say, this is enough, man. This is enough. Have you ever been in that point where you just, this is enough, man? You've got to get angry at your situation and let it fuel change. I can't use uh, uh, anger in, in dumb ways. You say, I, I go out there, I, I go out there, I could be the, the, the meanest, most angriest guy. But there's always going to be another, an angrier guy. This, there can always be somebody that could be more dangerous or more crazy than me. You understand? So let's use our anger. The Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, get angry, but do something good about it. Bring forgiveness in. Bring, uh, bring a discussion. Let anger fuel a discussion. But today, even our kids in college, they're so angry. If you tell them something they don't disagree with, they want to jump on you and pounce on you. Where are they getting that from? It doesn't bring, the glory, it doesn't bring glory to God. 
So it exposes your current mindset. Adversity weeds out the whiner in you and brings out the winner in you. Hallelujah. So even though we go through adversity, remember that we're already blessed. Say, say with me, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. You're blessed to be a blessing. So you're not just blessed so that you can show off. Let me put it that way. You're not blessed so you, you, yeah, that's right, I'm blessed. Walking around with my fancy car, fancy clothing, I'm blessed. That's right, I'm blessed. Wow, you're blessed. That's right, I'm blessed. No, that's not what it's for. You're blessed so that you could be a blessing. In Genesis 12, 2, 3, part of the way God blesses, he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. See? So say, say to your neighbor, I'm a blessing. See, so what's the bigger thing? That somebody is constantly given to you or that you could be the one that gives out the blessings? What's, what's better? I mean, I love it when somebody comes to me and hands me $1,000. Does it happen often? I don't remember the last time, but you know, anyway. But the point is, it's, that's really cool. But what happens if I've got so much that I'm the one that can hand out $1,000 to people? Huh? Many people might not like Trump, but... You know what he did just the other day? I think it was yesterday. And I'm not talking politically. I'm just saying it's cool to be able to bless that way. He went downtown to the memorial, and he just gave them, he just handed to them $100,000 for that not-for-profit agency that takes care of that, that 9-11-year memorial. He just gave them $100,000. How many visitors can do that? <laughs> right, let them come here. Yeah, I hear you. But with the point I'm making, I'd rather be in that position than in the position of, uh, you know, can you give me something so I could be blessed? I'd rather be the blessor because that means I have an overflow in my life. And that's what God blesses us for so we could become the blessors, the, the ones that have more than enough to give to others, more than enough prayer because my life is full of faith, more than enough love because I have enough love to give, more than enough friendship because I have more than enough friendship to give. Amen? More than enough ministry because my God meets all of my need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Amen. God's called us to be the blessing. Hallelujah. Amen. So are we consistently overcoming adversity or is adversity consistently overcoming you? Always remember this. Satan doesn't attack you. He attacks your purpose and your destiny. He's thinking of more just you. He's thinking of what you could produce in your lifetime, the legacy you could leave, the people that you could minister to. So you'll have to learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. Because if you call me at 3 in the morning, probably I won't pick up the phone. <laughs> but if you learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord at 3 in the morning, you, got God, you have God's word. You have his promises. You have the faith of God resident within you. You'll have the victory. You'll be able to do all and to stand instead of giving up. Praise God. Yes, amen. Let's give him some praise. Hallelujah. Always remember that your battle is not against people. Even though a person might say something to you, it's really the enemy there. Because sometimes people don't know. They're being motivated, motivated by the very devil many times words that they might say, hate that they might share with you, or ignorance, or maybe they might be going through a challenge or a situation. You know, so they're not your enemy. Your enemy are unseen spirits in the unseen realm, you see. And uh, who's your friends? Well, God, the Holy Spirit, 
you know, Lord Jesus, the Heavenly Father, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And even in this setting, many times brothers and sisters might say things that might be hurtful. Yeah. Don't hate them. They might come from an ignorant place. They might be saying something that they don't understand. What did Jesus say on the cross? What were one of the seven words? Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing or saying. You see? And in churches, you have people walking at different levels of life and different levels of perception, different um, educational experiences, different um, life experiences, family experiences. You see? And, and so we, we have to really uh, deal with people lovingly and forgivingly. Say, say to your neighbor, you have to forgive. Today's generation, they're being systematically, systematically taught to hate and to not forgive. That's contrary to the Spirit of God. You see, we have to be bigger than that. But the thing is, we come from a perspective that we have the inside understanding that that's what's going to bring true healing. You see, if we don't come from that perspective, we'll get swallowed up in that. And we won't make a difference. We'll just exacerbate an already bad situation. And always remember this. I love this verse, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So even though I go through adversity, I just know that the one that is in me is greater than he that's in the world. I just know it. I know it. Hallelujah. <clears throat> and I also know, Psalms 34, 7, that we're surrounded by angels. See, so how many times I could have had tragedy in my life? How many times has God delivered me? I mean, if, if I recount to you the many times as I was coming up, how God delivered me. And in, in certain cases, people would actually tell me, they would tell me, uh, we're not going to hurt you now because we, we respect who you are. Christian. Is it? It's just the fact that they just knew something different about me. I believe that God moved their heart at that moment because they were only bent on doing violence. Because they either had a gun or a knife. And they were a gang and they wanted to jump me. And suddenly one guy just stopped. He said, no, no, I will leave him alone. Why? Because I believe the angels, you know, got involved in, in, in helping me. Praise God. So thank God for that. The, the word crisis comes from a word decision. And crisis also has a connotation of deciding in a tight place, in a difficult place. Because what, what is crisis? Crisis is a moment where the situation could become better or worse. For example, like a fever. Suddenly have a fever. That's a crisis. You have a sickness, an overwhelming sudden sickness. That's a crisis. What about financial? Remember what happened to me? They called me and they said, sorry, your, your buyer backed off. That was a crisis right there. So crisis moments mean that here's a moment which has exacerbated. It could become better or worse. And a decision has to be rendered in that moment with a possibility of a negative outcome. So in a crisis, you could lose it all. But in a crisis, you could win it all. Again, I go back to David. There was a crisis there because Goliath was cursing God, cursing all the armies of Israel, right? And David shows up in the midst of that crisis, and he had to make a decision. He could have gone back home after giving his brothers, because that was his task, to just go give his brothers milk and cheese and bread. That's all. That was his, just go give the food and come back home, right? But he ran into a crisis, and his decision, instead of going back home with daddy and go tend the, the sheep, he says, no, I got to get involved with this, because I know this spirit. I know this. I can defeat this. And we have to give glory to God here. 
And, you know, I'm, I'm suited to be able to do this. And this will happen in your life. You'll run into crisis and suddenly you go, hold on a second. I know this situation. I can smell what's going on. I have like a sensing that I know what I need to do in the midst of the situation. Because I've rehearsed this in the past. I understand where it's coming from. And I'm the person that's going to bring this thing down. <clears throat> Hallelujah. So crisis is important because you have to respond somehow. And as a Christian and with your faith, we have to make sure that we take advantage of crisis because in the midst of crisis, you could have everything restored back to you. Because what did David do? He challenged the Goliath, got rid of the crisis, and what happened? Immediately, he became a famous person in Israel. Immediately, he became a hero. Immediately, he got a raise. Immediately, his one action created benefits for his entire family because now his entire family didn't have to pay tax. Can somebody do that for me? <laughs> How about maybe if I run into a situation, I could do it for you. See, we never know. You know, you could be Mr. Average John Q. Citizen, right? Or Johanna, John Q. Johanna Q. Citizen, right? John or Johanna, right? But the point is, is at a moment's notice, you might be thrust into a situation where there's a crisis, and now you might be the person that might bring deliverance, yes. that might bring the answer. That might bring a, a, a resolution. <clears throat> you never know. So we have to constantly be ready, watching. The Bible says watch and pray. It doesn't say just pray. It says watch and pray. Say to your neighbor, say watch and pray. So we always have to be watchful. How many times have people become internet overnight sensations? The cop that runs into that burning car and takes out that lady and as soon as he takes her out, takes her out 10 feet, the car blows up. The mother that somehow lifts up the car, you know, to take a child out of there, even though she's like 95 pounds. Internet, internet sensation, overnight, internet sensations, crisis. So what happened with David? He became an overnight success. Suddenly he started serving right alongside the king of that entire nation. You never know. Joseph, nobody knew Joseph. He was in prison. He was forgotten. His brothers had forgotten him. His father thought he was dead. He was dead to everybody. Suddenly, in one moment, he's able to give wisdom to Pharaoh. And out of nowhere, now, here comes this man. And, it went, and the Pharaoh says, effective immediately, all of Egypt, this is my right-hand man. Effective immediately, when he drives by you in the chariot, you bow to him. Meanwhile, that guy, a couple hours ago, was in prison. You never know how crisis could propel you to a place of significance in the midst of your peers. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. And another thing is, we're always leaving one crisis to enter another crisis. It's like it never ends. As long as you're alive, you're going to deal with some kind of crisis, some type of crisis. Example, Joseph, when he left his father's house, where does he end up? He ends up in Potiphar's house as a servant. That was one crisis. Then he leaves Potiphar's house to what? To prison. Another crisis. Then he goes from prison to what? No, he was already in prison. But from prison, where does he go? To do what? No, to handle a crisis. Because the dream says that 
that there was going a famine was on its way. And, and Pharaoh was having terrible dreams, and, and he just couldn't shake it. And none of his people were able to give him the strategy. But the Spirit of God in Joseph was able to bring the strategy. Praise God. So let's not run away from crisis. Let's excel in the midst of crisis. Let's be the answer in the midst of crisis. Hallelujah. Praise God. There comes times in our lives, critical phases in our lives, when decisions have to be rendered. Change is inevitable. Change is even needed. Crisis comes to every person, to every ministry, to every family. Crisis, however, could be a good thing, and it could propel us higher in Him if we embrace the hidden opportunities. Crisis produces opportunities. Praise God. Also, when we embrace the opportunity within the crisis, what happens? God gives us favor in the midst of crisis. Wow. How many want the favor of God? We want the favor of God. But the favor of God is essential at different facets of our lives. And the favor of God in the midst of crisis equals victory. Because God will give you favor. And favor, what that does is it, is it helps you with people. Because you'll talk to somebody that normally should dislike you and they will... They'll go, I don't know why, but I feel I need to help you. You know, it's happened to me. I've seen favor over and over and over again. I remember at one time I was, <clears throat> the first real job I got as a resident manager, I went before a guy. I prayed, and I went before the supervisor. I was the youngest guy. Everybody I was being interviewed was older than me. Uh, they were more ready for the position. They were better suited, better educated. My resume, very small, very thin. You know, you could rip it up real, you know, easily because there was nothing there. You know, now you see my resume, I have like two, three pages worth of stuff. But back when I was 23, ah, this and this, that's it. But I sat down with a guy. We started talking. Suddenly he just takes off his glasses and goes, you know, I like you. And even though you're the youngest one, I'm going to push you. And I, and, and I don't know what this means. To this day, I still don't know what it means. But I, I know it meant that he was going to work as hard as he could to get me hired. He said, I'm going to push you like gravy. Okay, I'm going to assume that's something really good. <laughs> but you know he did. He pushed me like gravy. <laughs> I got the job. I wasn't supposed to get it. But favor. Say, say to your neighbor, favor. favor. Favor will give you that, that extra that you need in your interview. It'll push you like gravy. <laughs> Praise God. And that wasn't the only time it happened to me. It happened to me other times also. Promotions and increase even create the need for maturity. Another crisis is this. Watch this. And this is something some people don't think about. How many of you want to be promoted? Okay, no, it's a good thing. It's not a trick question. It, it, really, I like promotion. Because in promotion, you know, uh, you get a better job, a better office, uh, you, you know, better salary, maybe a better package deal, right? Right. After you get the promotion, after you get your title and the corresponding name on your door, whatever that may be, now, you got, now you're responsible for it. So what happens is if you get the promotion but you did not grow in your responsibility factor, you won't keep the job. You won't keep the job. Because responsibility is essential 
as an employee. But responsibility is paramount as a supervisor. Now you're responsible for everything. If your, if your um, employees mess up, they blame you. Have you seen, have you noticed in the basketball world how if the basketball players don't do well, who do they fire? Who would you rather be, a basketball player or the basketball coach? It's like they can't do any wrong. <laughs> they keep them there. Or they'll trade them, you know, we'll trade you. And meanwhile, they keep their salary, a couple of million, you know, it's amazing. But the coach gets the ax. Why? Because he's responsible. So in the midst of crisis, you have to become responsible for the outcome. You might not be guilty of it, but you're responsible. The way you respond in the midst of situations can really mean the difference between failure or success. Thank you for that one amen. Amen. It's a precious amen because I wasn't getting any more. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Crisis places a demand on your life. It places a demand on your potential. Here's what happens when you get into a troubling issue. You have to dig in deep. Say to your neighbor, I need to dig deep. So you need to dig deep many times. And, the, and there's an anointing, there's wisdom, there's strength that's in deep that won't come out until you're in the midst of a crisis. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. And also, crisis creates pain. Anybody been there? Huh? Now you can say amen. Come on, at least give me amen there, right? <laughs> crisis creates pain. But I've learned crisis isn't your, I mean, pain isn't your enemy. It's your friend. This society, we don't want any kind of pain. Oh, I do. Oh, that's, that's it. That's it. Go to the doctor. Oh, I got pain. Listen, pain's your friend. Pain is telling you something is wrong. Pain is telling you you need to shift somehow. Right? Sometimes I, I got a chair in my office. I don't like it. I, I sit in certain ways after a while. My, my blessed assurance starts hurting over here. And I, I got a shift. I have to stand up. I have to walk. I have to, you know. But my body's telling me, listen, you're not getting blood flow to this part of your body. Right? And it, it's not like I have a, a lots, lots and lots of padding. I, yeah, the, the lumbar support. Yeah, whatever it is. The, my, my body's telling me. It doesn't tell me in scientific terms. It just says, ouch here, ouch. You got to move it. Right? But it's my friend. It's telling me you need to shift. So if you're in pain, if your situation is in pain, you need to shift. You need to change it. You need to move. Pain is your friend. It's telling you there needs to be a shift. And the other thing about pain is all champions have a personal relationship with pain. How many want to be in the uh, Olympics? Now one person lifted their hand because you know the pain they go through. They have to wake up 3, 4 in the morning and do exercise. They have to run. They have to eat bird seed for like 10 years to be, you know, really solid and rugged, chiseled, work beyond hard. I work hard, but them people work mercilessly. They beat them down. They make them do these things over and over and over and over again. Not just effective, it makes them champions. Yeah. Amen. I go to the gym, I see the punching bag, I go, doof, doof, doof. <laughs> <laughs> but you see these boxes, man, they're going, 
hour later, and then they're in that back, an hour later, no wonder they can knock your block off. Pain. You have to understand how to, there's a relationship that, that you have with pain that could progress you, that could push you forward, push you like gravy. I'm stuck on that one now. <laughs> <laughs> so here are some steps. Here are some things. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to land the plane. Say, say with me, he's landing the plane. All right, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I, I want to teach you something today. I, I want to empower you with something so that Wednesday, when you go through the crisis, I know how to deal with this. Praise God. In other words, be honest with yourself. Stop lying to yourself. Be honest with yourself. Here I'm good at, and here I stink, and I need some shifting here. Be honest with yourself with the changes you need to do. And run to God every day. Every day. You have to have a personal relationship with Almighty God. It's not enough to come on a Sunday. It's good to come on a Sunday. The Bible says don't forsake the fellowship. Absolutely. It's important to be here. It's important to be here Wednesdays and pray with the rest of us. It's important. But run to God every day. Every single day I go to God. God, you're my king. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. You're my provider. You're my healer. I, every day I remember this. Every day I come to him. Every day I ask for his wisdom. Every day I ask him for favor. Every day I ask him to heal my body. Every day I ask him to bless my family. Every day give us this day our daily bread. And I remember God's promises every day. Every day I thank him. Every day I Father, thank you that I can do all things through Christ that you call me to do. I can do them. I know I can because you help me. You're always with me. You never leave me. You never forsake me. Thank you, Lord God. You're my healer. You're my provider. You're my protector. You're my, you're my battle. You're my strength in the battle. You go before me. I rehearse. How can I rehearse it? Because I, rem I, mem I memorize the verses. I remember the verses. So what was that verse? Man, I can't wait till Sunday the pastor preaches it again. Sometimes you don't have that time. Sometimes you need that verse right now. Praise God. Another thing is learn something during every crisis. Observe. Don't run away. Watch. Look. What is God saying in the midst of crisis? Ask for wisdom in the crisis. And another thing about asking God for wisdom. Many of us in crisis, we get nervous and we react. Don't react. Don't make a decision. Don't move until you first get wisdom from God. And if you feel you've got to do something right away, stop. Go. Let me count to ten. Let me ask the Lord. See, because what happens is many times in the midst of the crisis, we say something or do something or react, and then later on we have to pay a very big price. I know it's happened to me many, many times. And I say something, and the second I said it, I knew I was going to be toast because of that. Have you ever said something you know, the second you're saying it, that's it, that's it. We just brought it to a higher playing field, right? So as soon as you say, no, the problem is, is that words run a lot faster than you. So you can't catch them before they go into the ear gates of somebody else. So stop. Try not to react. Think through the process and then, and then respond with wisdom in the midst of crisis. Hallelujah. Another thing about crisis is when you go through stuff, now you become compassionate. I don't know if you notice, but our kids today... Oh, my God, they're so unforgiving. Our teenagers, they're just so unforgiving. They get so angry with parents because they're, they're ignorant about life. They don't know what parents go through. But see, but that's ignorance. But when you go through changes, you become sensitive. You become loving and tender to others. Now, I'm getting no amens here. 
Yeah, so I'm saying, I'm saying to the young folk, I'm saying to all of us, you let me tell you, all of us are going to go through stuff. Yeah. So it's better that you treat people with mercy because the Bible says, give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. But watch this. If you give unforgiveness, if you give um, lack of passion or lack of, of, of love or uh, lack of empathy or sympathy, that's what you're going to get back later on. Because by the same measure that you give, it shall be meted back unto you. So I live by that. If I have a chance to be hard and cold, or if I have a chance to be merciful, I choose to be merciful. Why? Because I remember years ago, for example, this church went through a fire, 116th Street, years ago. And almost immediately after that, because we had given to other churches, we had blessed other churches, I would bring in pastors from other regions, and we would fellowship together. I would go to their fellowships. We had relationship, right? The day we had the fire, we had hundreds of churches that responded to our need. And what marked me in that entire thing, I mean, so many things blessed me, but what marked me was one guy came up to me and says, he gave me a $1,000 check for the church. He says, you know why we do this? He says, because it's you, Victor. What was he saying? He wasn't saying that I'm being bad. He was saying, you did for us. You've been doing, you've been serving in the city. Your church has been serving in the city. We used to do marches in, in the Harlem area. We worked with the Promise Keepers, which is a, a citywide thing. And I was always in their offices helping them and whatever I needed to do. In the time of our need, since we had sold love, we had sold service, we had sold kindness, in the time of our need, it came back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, men gave unto our bosom. Hallelujah. Amen. And sometimes, crisis is simply persecution. Sometimes it's just the enemy after you, trying to hurt you, trying to wound you, trying to stop you. In that situation, always remember, your faith will always attract the enemy. He's not after you, he's after your faith. He's after your purpose. He's after your them. Know that. Stand against him. Don't give up. Don't give in. When your purpose is awakened within you, your adversary will come against you. Remember when Moses was born? The... I guess the ruling pharaoh in that day wanted to, and he did. He killed every firstborn. They couldn't find Moses, though. Remember when Jesus was born? The governor, I believe, wanted, he had a lot of the kids, the firstborn killed in those days because they were trying to kill the prophet. They were trying to kill the anointing even if it's in its inception. When you want to come hard after God, when you want to serve God, when you want, expect an attack of the enemy. Because he doesn't want you on fire for God. He doesn't want you serving him. He doesn't want you being a tool of uh, almighty God in this generation. But thank God that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So that's a time to stay alert. That's a time to be focused. That's a time to worship and praise each and every day. Worship in the morning. Worship during the day. Worship at night. That's the time to intercede for yourself and for your family and for your church. That's the time to walk in love. The more hate is thrust at you, the more love you give back. Praise God. And then the other thing is the reason why the enemy comes at you is because you have something. You have worth. You have value. You, you, you have a, a, a ministry. You, you, they see the anointing in you. So they want to they wanna kill it. So you have value. The enemy believes that you can actually achieve your purpose. And he's trying to stop you. Glory to God. But thank God that God will fight for us when the situation looks impossible. So say, say with me, I don't worry. Because God will fight my battle. Because me and God, we are the majority. Amen. Praise God. Did you catch that? 
The Bible says in, in Exodus 15, verse 3, the Lord is a warrior. Yes, the Lord is his name. So remember, you hooked up to a warrior. He's just not the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the warrior above all. The Holy Spirit will reveal to you anything that's coming against you when you're connected with him. And even if in you're in the midst of it, he'll reveal to you strategies so that you could be delivered and set free. And the last, the last verse that I'm going to give to you and then I'll finish with this is 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So fear tries to come to you. Remember, it's coming from the outside. If fear is trying to come to you, it's trying to rehearse something in the past, to well up something from your past, to drum up something that gave you fear in the past, but you don't have to receive it. You now have the spirit of God. You have the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So you could look at the situation and say, okay, fear is trying to come. I don't receive it because that's, that's not the spirit that dwells in me anymore. I recognize that. How many of you know fear? You're intimate with it. You know it because you're a human being. All human beings have experienced fear. So you know when that thing wants to well up in you. You can cancel it right there. That's what God would tell his, his leaders of old. He says, do not fear. Right? Remember that? Do not fear. And the original version is, having begun to fear, stop. See? So what happens is when fear starts coming up, we cancel it right there. So no, I, in Jesus' name, I reject that. I have a spirit of power. So in the name of Jesus, I cancel that assignment. I use the power of God to cancel that assignment. I use the power of God to cancel that negative uh, emotion coming up upon me. Then I use my sound mind to be able to bring forth strategies with the help of the Holy Spirit to be able to cancel the attacks of the enemy. And I have the spirit of love to overcome anything that has been thrown my way that is meant to hurt, to kill, to destroy. Praise God. So do we have tools to deal with adversity? To deal with crisis, we have many tools. We are anointed and appointed to bring healing and to bring love and to bring restoration in our settings, with our families, with our, our city, you know, where we work. Hallelujah. We just need to use the proper strategies. And the greatest thing we could do is connect with Jesus. Really, that's it. That's the greatest thing we could do. Because it's in him that we can enjoy all these benefits. When he died on that cross and he rose again the third day, he did that for us to authorize us to walk in that level of authority in this earth realm. Because remember, when God made man, he said, you're in charge here on earth. I put you as my steward here on earth. But then man who had the authority gave it up to Satan, right? So when Jesus died on the cross, he had to do that because when God created man and put him in charge on earth, that was God's law here on earth. So whatever God creates as a law, whatever he speaks, it becomes law. So on earth, man's in charge. Why? Because God said so. It's not that we think we're big and bad. It's that God has anointed us to be in charge here on earth. So anything that happens here on earth is man's responsibility. That's why when God's going to do something, he'll always seek a man or a woman to pray it in, to, to, to activate it, and to work it through. And then he'll work with them to make sure it's happened. To make sure it happens. That's why when the enemy wants to do some terrible thing, he'll always fill a man's heart or a woman's heart with hate. You don't see a, 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 an alien with a red face and a pitchfork walking around hurting people or killing people. You see people killing people because they're either filled with hate or you, you see people helping, they're filled with love. See, when God's going to do something on earth, he always works through man. So that's why when Jesus uh, died on the cross... What was he? A man. 
God says, I will come and I will restore the balance. So God became flesh. And he lived a perfect sinless life here on earth. Why did he have to do that? Because everybody else was tainted with sin. Every man that was born was born with the sin of Adam. So Jesus was the only one born that was not born from a woman. He was born from the seed of the Holy Spirit. So he was not born with the blood, the tainted blood of sin of a man. But yet he was still a man. See? So when he lived his life perfect, he became the perfect sacrifice. When he died on the cross, he restored the, the, the level of authority that man has. So whoever partners through Jesus now has that uh, authority restored. See, that's why when we come to Jesus, it's not receiving religion. What we're actually doing is we're coming back to our authority. He reestablishes us as family. He reestablishes us as stewards. He reestablishes us as co-laborers. 2 Corinthians 6.1. We are co-laborers with God. See, so when you walk in authority, you might not feel it, but you say, I, I know what I've done. I'm all messed up. No, no, no. You don't understand. In the spirit realm, he already restored your authority. So as imperfect as we feel we might be, we have authority. You, sir, when you walk with your police uniform, sometimes do you feel like it? Sometimes you don't, but it's irrelevant because when you walk with your badge, your badge, whether you feel like it or not, gives you authority because your authority comes from a higher authority. It's a delegated authority. So you walk around, people better watch themselves while they're walking around you. When you have your uniform, you represent the government of New York State, right? So they have to respect them. And any other, when you wear your uniform, they had better respect you, right? But sometimes you feel like it. You have to. You have no choice. You know you are. But us as Christians, when the Holy Spirit fills us, he also in the spirit realm mocks us with authority. So when an enemy comes at you, a, de a demon, they know who you are. And so we have to know who we are. One time, uh, it was Paul, I think, he was casting out devils. Well, see, these seven brothers saw that and said, we want to do the same thing. So they started casting out devils. They started casting out devils, and they said, we cast you out in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. So one guy is filled with a, a, a myriad of devils, and he, he goes to, we know who Paul is, and we know who Jesus is, but who are you? And that demon-possessed man was able to overcome the seven brothers. They ran away. Uh, they had lost their clothing. They were all beat up. Why? Because they didn't have authority in the spirit realm. The enemy knows when you have authority. When you connect with Jesus, one of the things that happens, you get restored authority in the spirit realm. Yeah. Hallelujah. That's how come when we pray, we don't pray from a weak, mealy mouth. Oh, please, God, don't do it. In the name of Jesus. I'm the authorized person here, and I cancel this assignment. In the name of Jesus, Father, restore this community. Let me give you a report about this community. You sent me here. I'm authorized. I'm deputized. So right now, I cancel all of this murder, all of this hate, whatever it might be. You are responsible, and God trusts you to be in your region with your family and to, to bring that change necessary, to alert uh, the spirit realm, to cancel. How many times you've prayed? You don't even know it, but demons have had to flee. You don't even know it. You're not even aware of it. He says, man, we don't like that person, but we have to go because she said so. Yeah. We have to go because he said so. They have to because you're authorized. You don't have to pay that price. It was already paid. Yeah. So in Christ, you have that authority. Say to your neighbor, in Christ, in Christ. you have power. power. You have love. You have a sound mind. Amen. Praise God. Bow your heads with me. Come on, give him some praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for all that you've done for us on our behalf. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross and rose again the third day. My God, how awesome that is. I still don't understand the depth of what you did. But Lord, I trust you and I love you and I so appreciate it. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for restoring the authority to us in Christ Jesus. I pray for your people this moment, uh, Lord, and give them the strength to be able to self-assess, to see where they're at with you. And Lord, just reveal to them, this is not about religion, it's about relationship with you, my God. That you make us sons and daughters, Lord God. When we come to you, Lord God, you shift things in the heavenlies and, and you adopt us into your family. Father, thank you for that privilege. That we don't have to live life alone. We, we can live this life, Lord God, um, in journey with you, in partnership with you. Thank you. We love you, Lord God. I pray for your people this moment. Grant, grant them wisdom and understanding in their unique situations and circumstances. And may your power, may your authority, and may your wisdom and grace rise up mightily on their behalf, my God. And show them, Lord God, grant them the strategy, uh, strategy to be able to walk in that wisdom, to be able to walk in that power, to be able to walk in that love, to be able to walk in that soundness of mind. We'll give you the glory for it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. And as I, I'm just about ready to release you, but if you need prayer, especially in your relationship with God, don't mess with that because that's your authority. That's your authority. See, so when, when we come to Christ, there's an authority that's released to us. It's, it's legal. It's binding. So don't play with that relationship. You know, and if, you're, if God's been calling you, you haven't come just yet, don't play with that either. Come. Because, see, you have a purpose behind you and your purpose gets released in Christ. It'll stay, it'll remain hidden, it'll remain latent until you respond to Christ. See, it's, it's, it's like a lawyer. A lawyer can't take your case unless you authorize them to do so. They can't just show up at court on your behalf until you sign the covenant. And the contract or the covenant is when we come to Jesus, the Bible says he receives us as sons and daughters. He forgives us, cleanses whatever in the past. We become born again. We become new creations. See? And in that realm of shift in the heavenlies, the enemy even recognizes it. And they cannot do anything against you anymore except try to confuse you. Try to bring you down. Because now you're walking on a higher level. So if the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, respond to him. Because there's something great he wants to do in and through you.